people of God. This is real. What's crazy is it's realer to some than it is to others. The hoopla that is being given to a man who at one time was on the cross. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'll give you that. He was on the cross. He was, he was weak. He was talking about our thirst. He, he, he hung his head. <laughs> he died. But the reason why we've been singing the songs about power and authority and battles being won is because on the third day, on the third day though, <laughs> on the third day though, he got up, folded his clothes. I left out this morning, nothing was folded. I was like, oh, got to get out. The Lord Jesus demonstrating the power and the authority that would provoke songs and singing like this, folded his clothes and stole away, <laughs> in the words of one Christian representative. And every now and then when you get in the gathering, you see the various ways this moves and doesn't move people. So just wanted to say, for those of you that think this is real, amen. And for those of you who may not believe it, we pray that you will come to one day say, now I get it. He's victorious. According to Ephesians, God's plan is to bring everything up under him. And all of the things that seem to be outside of his control and his reach will be brought up under that. And anything that is out of sync with the Lord Jesus will be done away with. Second Peter talks about stuff being dissolved so that the only thing that will last is that which is rightly aligned with the one who's won the battle. And so today I get to talk about this victorious one. And good news is he's given us something to wear so we too can be victorious. It's called armor. I'm going to pray, read the Bible. Well, I'm going to read the Bible, then I'm going to pray, and then we'll go in. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. If you have a copy of your word, perhaps it'll be on the screens. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There's a lot here. Let's go. Gracious God and Father, we bless your name. We pray right now in this moment that you will get glory for the Lord Jesus by allowing this text to show how radiantly glorious he is. Do not let me impede people's ability to appreciate what's in this text. Let me turn down so that you may look turned up in their eyes and let the people endure the heat long enough to embrace the truth and receive with meekness the word implanted and then send us out here changed and renewed, refreshed, re-energized the whole nine. And if there's anyone in here who's not a believer, if there's anyone looking who's at home, would you arrest their attention and would you allow the proclamation of your word to be the reason why they feel their soul resurrect and say amen. I want to be a part of what is going on there. Do it in such a way that we would be energized, but you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. So, over 20 years ago, in June of 2000, June of 2000, there was a movie entitled The Patriot that was released starring Mel Gibson and the late Heath Ledger. The fictional movie is about a widowed farmer. This man who had lost his wife was a widow. He was a farmer named Benjamin Martin, and he was a veteran of the French and Indian War. It's a fictional movie, but it's based on real events. He was a veteran of one war, and he sought at all costs to avoid this new war that was in their midst called the American Revolution. Benjamin Martin was intent on strictly living as a simple farmer. You saw him trying to ignore it. You saw him trying to just go about his daily duties with, with his kids. He had four kids, and so uh, his, as a widower with four kids, he just wanted to live the quiet life. The only problem is the British were coming. And in 1776, in the midst of this war, his young 17-year-old son, played by Heath Ledger, decided he wanted to fight for America's freedom, so he joined the war to the dismay of his father. His father wants no parts of it. Until one day, that 17-year-old boy comes running back home, followed by the British Army. The British Army come, they chase him, and they grab him, and they deem him to be a traitor. So they grab him to take him to hang him. Well, in the midst, they looked at one of the other kids, and in an act of intimidation, they shoot 
one of Mel Gibson's sons and they burn his house and set it ablaze. So they have his son to execute. They've killed one of his sons and they've now set his house on fire. Gibson, in Mel Gibson fashion, snaps. He goes upstairs in the midst of the flames. He opens up a chest. He reaches inside and pulls out all manner of weaponry. He grabs his two little kids, don't seem like they're even teenagers yet. He grabs them and chases the caravan to get his son back. They go and they find out where the caravan is, take a shortcut, and he gives his little sons two long barrel muskets, long barrel handguns. He says, I want you to begin to pick off the enemy with these guns. All of a sudden, these two little ones with these long guns begin shooting. Down goes one, down goes another. Next thing you know, Mel Gibson with nothing but two machetes in his hand goes and single-handedly just massacres the British troops. In other words, all I could think about at that time was, it's a good thing that both the father and the sons, in fact, the whole family knew how to fight because they were all in the war. They were all affected by the war. The Bible would make clear that everybody in God's family is equally in the war and therefore equally called to fight. You and I must know how to fight. There's nothing like being jumped if you've ever been jumped. Or nothing like finding yourself in a conflict, if you've ever been in a conflict, a physical altercation, only to look around and find out they either can't fight or they won't fight. Blueprint, turn to your neighbor and say, can you fight? Turn to your other neighbor, say, will you fight? You know, I always look for the most natural way to actually do that. Turn to your neighbor and say, well, I got good news for you. If you're in Christ, you're fit for the fight. There's something today. They talk about your fit. <laughs> I like your fit. Well, you might look good in your fit, but unless you have what we're going to talk about today, that fit will not be fit for this fight. But I'm here to tell you that according to the scriptures, if you're in Christ, you are fit for the fight. Ephesians 6 10 to 20 talks about a believer's fight and the battle that we're in. The believers fit the armor that we have and the believer on all fours, which is just a symbol of the prayers that we offer. First, the believers fight. Recognize the battle that you're in. 10 to 12 starts off like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Note the nature of the fight. You have to understand the nature of this fight. He starts by saying, finally, after all that I've been saying, and I heard that this was a series, and I got to conclude a series, which means that you all have already gone from chapter one where God says, I lace my people with every spiritual blessing. So having lived the high reality of you're blessed if you're in Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. One of them is he's made you his own. One of them is he's forgiven your sins. He's given you life. Having said that, finally, 
Not only that, in chapter 2, we know that he made you alive when you were dead. The Bible says we were all dead because we were all trespassers and we were sinners. The world doesn't believe that the reason why we die, the reason why we die, and the reason why we're sick, and the reason why we get shut in is because we're sinners. If we had never sinned, we would never die. We would never get sick. He says he made you alive, though you were a trespasser and a sinner. Bible makes clear that this is what he did. The Bible says in three that he made you part of his church. In chapter two, it says he made you a family member when you were a foreigner. He made you an insider when you were an outsider. He gets glory from you. He's decided to move in and take up residence in you. In all the places a person could live, every now and then we're amazed when God, uh, when an architect shows us some place that we were like, who would have thought to turn that into a dwelling place? Those crates that you see, those metal containers that are on, on ships, and now people are starting to make elaborate homes out of them. Somebody says, yeah, he, he turned a plane into his house. He turned this tree forest into a house. God says, I turned your rebellious heart into a renewed heart, and then I moved in and made it my dwelling place. That's what he says that he does for the church. He indwells the church. All of these things put you on cloud nine. And then you say, now let me live that way. Let me live in peace. Let me have the quiet life. Like Benjamin Martin, I just want to live a simple life. If you're single, you're not ready to commit. You may say, I just want to live the single life. (laughs) Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I want to live the famous life. I want to live the easy life. I want to live the quiet life. I want to live the fast life, the city life. We all say, I want to live the blessed life. And so the Bible says, having recognized that God gives you some measure of all of these things, here is a sobering reality. Finally, let me bring you back to reality You need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. You need to put on armor so you can stand against somebody who's going to try to make all of that come crashing down on you. The Christian life is a war. It's not an off-ramp. Some people think when they meet Jesus, things are going to get better. Often what they find is things get worse. They think they're going to get more friends. And often they find that they get less friends. They think that they're going to smile more. Yet the Lord Jesus himself, who is God, was called a man of many sorrows. Oh, what we see here is that after all that the Lord Jesus does, he sobers us up and says, I'm not trying to blow blow you high and blow your mood, but here's the sober reality. What you're about to do requires you to be fully clothed in armor. The, only, the first and only time I went and played paintball, we were all excited. Everybody was coming there. We were all chitter-chattering. Everybody was excited. Then the guy said, okay, everybody, I want you to come over here, and I want to tell you this. And as he began to tell us what we needed to be able to enjoy paintball, he scared us. He said, you have to keep your goggles on at all times because this can push the eyeball back to the brain. We're like, oh, hey, easy. That changed real fast. Everybody starts saying, okay, all right. You know, you like kind of listen and you're like, I'm in the, okay, what did you say? 
And all of a sudden he said, okay, and what I want you to know is that you have to always keep this and you have to make sure that when, when you shoot somebody and once they, get, they surrender, you, and he began to go through all of these things that we needed to enjoy, but he sobered us up by telling us this is the way you have to do it and this, this is the protective gear that you're going to have to have on in order to enjoy it. Well, this is what finally be strong in the Lord is meant to do in this text. It's meant to say, I told you a lot, your mood is high. And now let me sober you up because the war is fierce. And you can't enjoy the war if you're not equipped for it. Ah, yet you can still have joy in the war if you are. Just like the person who says, I'm mad because it's raining outside, but my roof is leaking. I wouldn't be mad if I had a nice roof. It's cold outside, but my heat is broken. I wouldn't be mad if it was cold outside if I had a heater. In other words, I'm in a war, but I wouldn't be depressed. If I had the equipment to be able to handle the nature of this fight, it is serious business, just like it is seriously hot up here. It is serious business. Be strengthened. It's actually in the passive tense. It's not be strong like get strong. It's be strengthened. It's in the passive. It's let what Christ does in you provide you the strength that you need. And it's in the continuous tense. It means always stay strengthened by the one. It says in the Lord. Every now and then your laptop will get so old and the battery will get so insufficient that the only way your laptop will stay powered up is if it stays plugged up. Let's go. The Bible makes clear that you and I can't roam free like we got enough battery life to be in this on our own. Be strengthened in the continuous in the Lord by staying glued to Jesus Christ in the Lord. Oh, you can't treat this like masks. You know how we do. We mask up when we think there's a reason to mask up and we don't when we think it's not. Well, this war, you can't strap up and not strap up you have to stay in the continuous armored down all right finally be strengthened the nature of this fight is it's so fierce it requires constant power it requires somebody else's power the power of the one who got up from the grave that we talked about and then he says it requires you to stay protected. You have to be empowered, but you have to be protected. But 11 says, put on the whole armor of God. What is the armor of God? The armor of God, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it, but the armor is the God that God provides. And you're going to find out that it's the very armor that God himself wears. You remember the story of David, if you know the Old Testament. And David went out to fight Goliath, and the first thing Saul did was say, hey, put on my armor. So he gave him his kind of armor, and he gave him his sword. And David said, I can't use this. I'm not, I'm not fit for this. I'm not, I'm not, I haven't tested your armor. Let me just go in my armor. Well, here this king gives you his armor, but you're fit, you're fit for this armor. It's the armor of God, the, the armor he himself wears. We'll look at that. And the armor he himself gives because you need protection, full protection. This, this idea he's going to get to says you don't have a shield. It's the small shield. You have the, the, the full body shield. You know, when cops, if they were going out to say, I'm just going to give tickets and citations, a pen and a pad will do. Even if they were just doing random traffic stops and they were coming to your car to say you were speeding, maybe a gun and a badge will do. Oh, but let them have to encounter an insurrection. <laughs> 
Let them have to encounter a riot. Uh, oh, they get on different gear. Oh, now I need more than a pen and a pad. Now I need more than a gun and a badge. Uh, that wraps. Uh, but, but, but now I need helmets. Now I need shields that come from top to bottom. Now I need all manner of things that I wouldn't need because of the nature of the fight. He says, just by me telling you, finally, come back to earth, sober up. Be strong in the Lord. Be strengthened. Be strong in his might. Be supernaturally strengthened because of what you're facing. You're not able to do just because you're woke. What you're able to do is not sufficient just because your history are buff. Just because you did well in school. Just because you got street smarts. You need something supernatural for what we're about to say. Oops. Put on the whole armor of God. What is the purpose of this? The purpose of it. The purpose of the armor. That you may be able to stand. Four times in this little passage is going to talk about standing, which means that's part of the point. That you may be able to stand, verse 11. Verse 13, that you may be able to withstand. Verse 13, all having done all to stand firm. And verse 14, stand therefore. You think that's the point? Yes. That the nature of this armor and the nature of this power is geared to help us to do what it takes to be victorious, and that is stand. The nature of this war is not go conquer. The nature of this world is not go on a conquest. You're not going to gain ground. You're making sure that you keep ground. You're not out here conquering anybody, making them your servant. No, you're contending and you're continuing. That's what you're doing. You're contending in order to continue. Right now, we're mad because Afghanistan is a mess, if you know the deal. Afghanistan, they say after 20 years of investment, 20 years of war, 20 years of training a military, a trillion dollars of monetary investment, equipping an army, giving them 300,000 troops, giving them 200 planes, and in 20 years, it was all decimated in less than 20 days. They said, what happened? The soldiers decided not to stand. They laid down their armor, they laid down their weapons, they laid, left their planes and their helicopters, and they retreated. He says, this will help you to not retreat, but to continue in the faith. We call it stand. It's a spiritual business. What do you mean? Well, we do not, verse 12, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. In other words, the nature of the fight and the nature of the threat is it's going to make you not want to continue, make you not want to stand. It's going to confuse the gospel. What is it that Satan would like to mess up? Everything I told you that Christ did. He says, everything that Christ did, Satan wants to undo. That's the nature of Satan as the rival of God or the opponent, not his rival, but he has no rivals. He has no equals. Now and forever, our God reigns. But I'm saying he is the one who opposes him. He would love to hinder the salvation which the Bible says that God laced you with before the foundation of the world. He would love to make sure that the gospel doesn't bring you into the fold of that riches. He would love to distort the gospel which he calls the gospel that made the two who were at odds with one another 
one. He says he would love to mess up unity. He knows how to get the right person in office to mess up unity. He knows how to make the right person come in with a new slick doctrine that can mess up the unity. He knows how to bring the right person to mess up the unity of a marriage. He knows how to mess you up. He would love for people to give up on their church, give up on their truth, give up on their marriage. Why? Because they won't stand. Why? Because the devil finds ways. He's going to say the schemes, the methods. He has a way. He would love to present, prevent reconciliation. The devil hates reconciliation. He hates enemies that become friends because he loves people to be at odds with one another. That's his nature. He loves to dismantle churches, churches that start and then they stop. He loves to take down leaders. In chapter 4, it says he gave us leaders so we would all reach maturity and be built in chapter 4. He loves it when leaders fall. He comes after leaders so that they'll fall. He loves to put back up walls of hostility. He says he tore down the walls of hostility, which is why right now we're struggling with being able to stay together. And Pastor Dahad, he says, can I talk about why I will stay fighting for a unity that seemed to only be in jeopardy when the walls of hostility started rising and no one tore those walls down and say, no, don't let those walls come back up. How about chapter five, holiness? He would love to mess up your holiness. In other words, this fight is to get you to leave, get you to move, get you to change, get you to switch, get you to say peace. It's not me. What do you think stand is? Stand. Stay put. The fight is. And the nature of this foe is not flesh and blood. It's the behind-the-scene actors. This may sound self-evident but just think about it when he says because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood how many people don't think that we're wrestling against flesh and blood in other words you're not ultimately wrestling against flesh and blood because behind the flesh and blood is something more sinister something more powerful that enables the flesh and blood to have more success when you encounter them Every now and then, a track star will run and they will get disqualified because it wasn't just your legs running that helped you to win. It was something empowering those legs that run that helped you win. Every now and then, a runner will run and will get, break a record and they will say, we're not going to count that record. You know why? Because there was a wind in your back that's beyond the legal limit. So it's not just your running. It was that invisible wind that actually helped you to break that record. So that doesn't count. All I'm saying is there are unseen realities that are empowering the realities that you and I encounter. So he says, we're not wrestling. I'm, this war is not to get at the little man. This war is to get at the big kahuna. Every now and then somebody gets arrested and they'll let them have a cooperation deal. And they'll say, you'll cooperate with me. I want you to give me the guy that's over you. And then they'll get him. They'll say, I'll give you a lighter sentence if you give me the guy that's over you. Ultimately, they want a highest person at the top. He says, I go straight to the highest person. You wrestle against what he calls the devil, rulers, principalities, cosmic powers, spiritual darknesses of evil. Let's look at the nature of the foe real quick so you can understand why you need this armor. First of all, invisible. It's the stuff you can't see. God wants you to be madder at what you can't see than what you can see. It's not that we don't hold people accountable for the role they play. 
He looked at Judas and said, so you're going to betray me with a kiss, huh? But the Bible said that Satan filled Judas. He said, hey, I chose you and one of you was a devil. Called him a devil. So it's not that we deny the human element. It's just know that there's something behind there and you want to look at that element rather than just the human. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, unseen, but real. He says, but now check this out. He's powerful. The foe is powerful. You see that in 610 by saying you need full armor, you need body armor, you need riot gear. You're not going and giving tickets. You're not going to just have an unruly customer at a bar. You're going to be in the street where people are going to be coming for your life. You need full armor. So he's powerful. Jude says it like this. Michael, the, the, the highest angel in heaven. It says Michael contending with the devil did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael said, I'm going to let the Lord handle you, Satan, because you're powerful. Second Corinthians 4.4. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever. In other words, Satan is so powerful, God nicknames him the, quote, God, the little G, God of this world. He's powerful. First John 5:19. We know we're from God and the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Anytime the whole world is lying under your power, you're powerful. <laughs> but not only that, he's methodical. This word, the schemes of the devil is a word methodos from which we get the word methods, meaning Satan has methods. You can see him coming if you know his methods. Ephesians 11 says put it on because he got schemes. He, he's slick, Willie. 2 Corinthians 2.11. We don't want you to be outwitted by Satan. We're not ignorant of his methods, his designs. What do you mean? What kind of designs? Oh, he likes to move in a place and cause people to argue. Make them doubt one another. Make them suspicious of one another. Make them jealous of one another. He's also influential. Satan and his regime. He calls them rulers. And rulers mean people who have responsibility over territories. And what we believe is that, that there are demonic forces that actually operate and they have territory. They may have a business meeting. How's the Northeast going? How's Russia doing? How's Europe? How about South? North Korea? Okay. South Korea? All right. Fourth Ward? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, they, they're rulers over territories. He calls them authorities, which means that you don't even have to have strength to have authority. When I first got my license, I was speeding. I mean, the first two days. And all of a sudden, a man far down got out of his car and just did like this. And as I was driving to him at 80 miles an hour, I could have just kept going past him. I could have just knocked him out the way. But he, I knew, noticed that he was a state trooper and all he had to do was do this. And my car went over, my brakes stopped and I said, yes, sir. That's because he has authority. Well, why call them authorities? Because they have influence. Even though they don't have bodies, they have influence over bodies. Let's go. He calls them authorities. He calls them cosmic powers. It's one thing for you to have national power. It's one thing for you to have regional power. It's another thing for you to have cosmic power. Cosmic power means that you're running things from an aerial view. I am behind what's behind what's behind the scenes. 
cosmic powers. And he says, it's not just that they're methodical and they're influential. Satan's called the prince of the power of the air. There's a reason why everything that goes on is streaming in its air. And Satan says, this is my, oh, you're talking my talk now. Y'all want to stream everything? Okay, I could do streaming. I'll send my influences to your phone so that at five you can encounter my way of thinking rather than Christ's. I know it's hot. I'm almost finished, even though it doesn't look like it based on all these verses. Satan, his schemes, he's influ- he influences. He advocates shortcuts. Came to the Lord Jesus. He said, come on, man, just jump down. Let the angels save you. And they'll be like, Messiah, you ain't got to go to the cross or nothing. Satan will come to you and say, I know that what you're getting is you're going to get it. So why don't you just take this shortcut and get it? He makes plausible suggestions that seem to work in your favor. Came to Jesus and said, come on, you're the son of God, man. Don't, don't be hungry. Turn these stones into bread. What, what's wrong? What's so wrong with you, like, turning stones into bread? We're out here in the wilderness. You ain't hurting nobody. Goes up to Satan, I mean, to David in 1 Corinthians 12. And he says, the Bible says that Satan incited David to number his army against the Lord. He says, come on, David, just count your men so you can know how to maneuver. In other words, one of the things Satan does is he comes and he suggests things that work in your favor. He's going to work in your favor. But because he's evil, he has an evil intent Why he's going to make it seem right to you. He advocates self-improvement. He went to Eve who had it all in paradise and said, but I mean, what about that fruit that you can't? Because God knows if you have that, you'll have it all plus some. (laughs) And that's what God does. Isn't that how Satan does? He comes to you and says, I know you got that, but you can also have this. You can get with this and you can get with that. Basically, Satan's method is to say, do you get yours, get it now, and by any means necessary? That's Satan, because I feel like it. That's why I did it. Well, he's evil, though. Revelations 12, 9 calls that Satan and those, they're called powers of darkness here, spiritual forces of evil in this text. But Revelation 12, 9 says he's a dragon. And that's not a compliment. Jesus said he's a killer and a liar. John 8, 48, 44. Remember this? Your father, the devil, you're like him. He was a murderer from the beginning. (laughs) Satan's a murderer. The devil still kills and seeks to destroy He says he's a liar. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan knows how to lie better than us. He's a wonderful liar. And he's a phony, 2 Corinthians 11, 14. And no wonder even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, which is why usually we're looking for Satan in his dragon attire, but he usually doesn't show up in his dragon attire. He puts on a suit and a preacher's uniform. The first, 18th century, the first ordained black minister was called Lemuel Haynes in the 18th century. He said this about Satan. Satan is a very successful preacher. He draws a great number after him. No preacher can command hearers like him. He mixes truth with error in order to make it go well and carry his point. Satan is very laborious. He's a weary, unwearied preacher. He has been in the ministry for about 6,000 years, and yet his zeal is not the least abated, meaning hasn't run dry. 
So note this. After all that, he hates you. And especially if you're in Jesus, he hates you more. Friend of mine who became a cop, he said, we're taught not to wear wedding bands. They said, why don't you wear wedding bands? He said, because crooks don't need to know you have loved ones. Because they'll go after them if they can't get you. Satan can't mess with Jesus. He already lost. So he would love to mess with those that Jesus loves. And this is why, finally, be strong with supernatural strength continuously. Put on God's armor because that's the only way you will stand against the methodology of Satan who comes with a light suit on, who whispers sweet butterflies in your ears, who makes it sound profitable, makes it sound like it's improving you, and all he really wants to do is kill you because he hates him. Well, that's the fight. So let's look at your fit. Strap up. The believer's fit. Put on the armor that we have been given. First, the purpose of the armor. 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand firm. Now again, I just want to reiterate, this is about you standing Satan's whole thing is, I don't mind you being a Christian today, just don't be one tomorrow. Because he doesn't want you to stand. I don't mind you going to church today, just don't make this a habit. I don't mind that you come every major holiday, that's cool with me. You're pushing it a little bit, Satan would say, because you're there every major holiday. But at least it's only a few times a year, because I don't want you standing in it, I just want you dabbling in it. He doesn't mind you being nominal, being a Christian that nobody really knows is a Christian until one day it becomes like safe to say, I'm a Christian too. He doesn't mind you being moral. He just doesn't want you being biblical. He doesn't mind morality. He's like, oh, morality? I told you, angel of light, I got morality down to a science. He doesn't mind you being on Google. Just don't be in your Bible. He's like, I'll I'll make it so you never want to come off of Google and apps. Long as you're not in the Bible on those Googles or apps. He doesn't mind you starting a ministry. Long as you don't continue it. He doesn't mind you having a godly marriage. Long as it doesn't succeed. He doesn't mind. He doesn't want you to stand. So the text says that the armor enables you to not just be a Christian today, but be a Christian until you die. Not just be Christian in your way today, but be a Christian when you die. To be Christianly when you go to school or when you go to work or when you go to church. When you're here with mommy, you're a Christian. When you go off to college, you're a Christian. And even if you wobble, you you wobble, but you don't go anywhere because he enables you to stand. That's the nature of the armor. It allows you to stand. You say, how is that? Well, let's look at the nature of the armor. It's a belt, it's a vest, it's boots, it's a shield, it's helmet, and it's a sword. Check this out. So stand. Plant down. Mama Fleet, stay planted. That's for all y'all Martin lovers. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
on your shoes, put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguish the flaming darts. Take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Can we look at the armor real quick? When you look at the armor, it's kind of hard to understand what the armor is all about. And the best thing we can do is look at when God wears these things, what does he do? Yahweh is called a warrior, the God of justice, the God who saves, and the God of mission. Look in the Isaiah, Isaiah 11, 4 to 5. But with righteousness he will judge the needy, the justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Watch this. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. In other words, the belt of truth is probably the belt or securing yourself with an overall disposition to be faithful or true. Because here, it's, he calls it righteousness, and in Hebrew, when you say the second line, it's telling you what you mean. It clarifies it, faithfulness. So instead of just being true, it's, excuse me, speaking truth, it's also being a true person. So in other words, it's the belt of truth may be what Yahweh calls the faithfulness that girds me up. To gird up meant to gather your bagginess so that you can move unimpended. Oh, I got to go. You know, back when I was a kid, I would go down south and I would, we would, we would just be out there. You know, everybody kind of would be loose. You have your shoes, you know, you, kinda, you know, like with your heel kind of like on the outside. And so you're just kind of walking and diddy bopping. You know, everybody's flopping. If you don't have flip flops, you have sneaks. Somebody say, you want to race? And you say, oh, you want to race? And then you would put your shoes in and you would tie them real quick. And the only reason why you're tying your shoes is because I'm ready to run without my shoes getting in my way. Well, that's what this image is. Oh, gird up, gird up with truth because anything you do from this point on, you're going to have to do it committed to truth, <laughs> doctrinal truth and a truthful character. Y'all quiet, but I'll go. I'll take this. Amen. So what he says is this is what Yahweh does. He's truthful in all manner, in all contexts, in all scenarios. You need to gird up with truth. Isaiah 59. Watch this. 16 to 17. Yahweh saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate. There it is, the breastplate of righteousness. In other words, the breastplate was something that they used to guard their vital organs. It would be like a vest. That's why I said the vest, the vest of righteousness. Because today, we put, people will put on bulletproof vests. Why? Because the vest guards your major organs. And so they would put on a breastplate, but it's a breastplate of righteousness. Isaiah 52, how beautiful, oh, excuse me, uh, uh, excuse me, breastplate of righteousness. Then it's verse 17. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. <laughs> he put on the garments of vengeance for his clothes and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. In other words, you have to go back to the Old Testament to understand what Yahweh uses when he either saves when he, used the, when he goes to war, or when he does missions. Look at Isaiah 52. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace and bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. In Romans, it says the same thing. Blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news. In other words, what you see in the armor, the belt of truth, 
is about you being committed to truth in season and out of season so that when Satan throws you a Mickey, when he slips you a fast one, you're able to detect it because you know the truth that's in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, he says, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, this is why you come to imprint. This is why you come to church and don't want to just have a feel-good session, but you want to learn the truth. And then you want to live the truth. David says, you want truth in the inward parts. That's integrity. So we learn the truth so we can live the truth. The breastplate, like we said, the vest of righteousness is God has saved you. And there's nothing the devil would like to do is to remind you of all your sins. (laughs) One of the things that Satan does to discourage believers is keep them around negative communities who only highlight sin and who never remind sinners who've strayed that their positional righteousness is what anchors them so that they can return to practical righteousness. I gotta go. It's too late. He says so you can stand against the devil, right? The word devil in Greek is diablos, right? Where we get el diablo, right? Well, it means slanderer. Because one of the things that Satan does, according to Revelation, is he stands day and night and he accuses people. But you see him? But you see her? God says, but I've given them my righteousness. So when I see him or I see her, I see Christ. If you've trusted Christ. Yeah, yeah. There's no. Why do you think the text says there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus? Because somebody is going to try to condemn you. Why do you think it says who shall bring any charge against the Lord's elect? Because there's always somebody that thinks they're more saved than you are. If you're really saved, (laughs) the breastplate protects you from those attacks. Elsewhere, righteousness is actually doing deeds of righteousness. So the devil can also tear down the church. By causing us to live so raggedy that nobody believes we're worth having and we, we're worth following. When I was young, I used to be so wild. My friend and I, all we did was live contrary to the faith that we said we had. And I remember going to a little club and I was clubbing. I said, you know, well, and, and God was working on me and I started t- t- sharing Christ with them. They said, you're not saved. What you doing here then? <laughs> I said, dang, I better stop going to the club if I want them to believe that I'm, I've been made righteous. And then there was a sister at my job named Wendy. They said, now, Wendy, she's saved. Righteousness can make Satan have to fall back. I'm almost finished. It's this that Satan uses. Paul told Timothy. He said, don't let him despise you. Just show them your righteousness, love, face, purity, conduct, speech. Sometimes we see a liberal and you say, they don't know sound doctrine. Well, if you're more liberal, demonstrate, listen to my doctrine. Some people are conservative. They don't care about justice. Well, if you're more conservative, say, watch me be on the front lines working for justice. Let the righteous deeds demonstrate I've got the righteous standing That way Satan can't use this to discredit the church. Boots of gospel readiness. I'm I'm behind. Let me rush. And it's on your feet. These were boots that had cleats. 
These cleats were able to make you have a stand and not move. In other words, you were ready. You were ready to give the gospel at any minute. You know what Satan would love to keep the gospel from going forward. He wants you to like get tired of the gospel, tired of gospel stuff. He wants you to get feel awkward about bringing the gospel up, being ready to bring the gospel in because the world hates the gospel, because Satan hates the gospel. But Jesus says, that's what I want. I want my church to give people the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel I preach to you in which you stand. The way you stand with your feet in the gospel is you believe it enough to not move. Listen, I was in the world, but I believed that the gospel was true. I was smoking weed with everybody on the corner, and they were like, yeah, but that's why we nation of Islam. You should be nation of Islam. And I would say, but nation of Islam doesn't have the truth. Pass that. And as we were talking and arguing, I was arguing for the gospel. Then they said, but you don't have the gospel. I said, I better stop smoking this so you'll believe I have that. And then when I have that, I'm going to keep saying that. That's what standing on the gospel. You have to believe it first. You have to believe it's of first importance. You can argue all day about who's the goat. You got to know that this is of first importance. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. Of first importance, I'll give you what I got. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried. He was raised the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, and we preached and you believed. That's the way it's supposed to go. Gospel readiness. Boots ready to give the gospel. And he calls it the gospel of peace. And it's the gospel of peace because it's only through the gospel that you and I can have peace. Listen, whites and blacks, let's just cut to the chase. I never lived around so many whites before until the gospel became a unifying principle. I used to live in black neighborhoods. I went to black schools. I went to black churches. I went to black stores. That was my life. Then one day, the Lord had me hunger for righteousness, and I started going to not just black Christians, but white Christians and black places of theological influence and white. I'm just telling you that the gospel gave us a peaceful harmony, and it doesn't mean it's always easy, but that's why it's called the gospel of peace, because he makes people who are opposites come together and be attracted. Opposites attract. <laughs> opposites attract. I'm almost finished. Look at Spurgeon. Spurgeon says, keep to the gospel, then more and more and more. Give the people Christ and nothing but Christ. Satiate them, even though some of them would say that you nauseate them with the gospel. At every meal, set out the salt without prescribing how much. If they do not like it, give them all the more of it. For this is according to your Lord's mind. Gospel, gospel, gospel. It says pick up the shield of faith because you're getting shaky. Pick up the shield of faith. In all circumstance, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish with all the flaming darts of the evil one. In other words, Satan will sit back and let you hang yourself, but every now and then he gets offensive and he shoots darts. Darts of accusations, darts of intimidation, darts of false teachings. They call it doctrines of demons. And he says, put on the shield of faith. Believe that God said what God said, and you are who you are like we sang, the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation, know if you're saved or not. The old folks used to say, you got to know that you know that you know you're saved. <laughs> oh, don't, don't doubt, don't wonder, don't want to be saved because it's embarrassing to be around saved people and have to say, I'm not saved. I'd rather you say, I'm not saved. So you'll know that you need to be saved. The helmet of salvation is your, like being, guarding your mind with the truth of knowing if you've been rescued or not. People think that God's just going to overlook it. 
People think that God's going to say, but you, I know who your parents are, but you were cute, but you had a hard life. None of that's true. People said, I'm going to say to him, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons? Did I not preach? Did I not prophesy in your name? Jesus is saying, I'm going to look at you and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, if you never knew somebody who did prophesy and who did cast out demons, what do you think you're going to do to people who just rebelled against God and said, forget this gospel that brings peace? You got to know the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and then the sword of spirit. I'm finished. I'm finished. Somebody said that. Somebody said, you always say that so we know you're really not. Yeah. So you're right. The sword of the spirit. I'm going to believers on all four. I'm going to close with that. That'll be my, my hoop, believers on all four. Right now I'm at the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is called the word of God. But it's not the lagos. It's the rhema. Come on, I know you like this. See, Lucius, I'm talking about a rhema word right now. There's a rhema word in here. Listen. A rhema word are the sayings of God. The Lagos is the word of God. Rhema is talking more specifically of words spoken, like said, words like sayings. It's what Jesus used to defeat the devil. It's the quotation of scripture. It's the telling people what the Bible says. Your generation will have to decide, will you grow weary with the Bible? Because so many people have been hypocritical with the Bible. Most people don't say, well, because the Bible says. We usually say, because I think, well, to me, I feel. But back in the days, people used to say, but the Bible says. Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. Right? You have to be comfortable with being people of the Bible. Bible. He says, that's your only sword of the spirit. We need new gospel Bible rhetoric. Bible people, young people, blowing people's mind when you go to the store and you start talking and you start saying, yeah, but you know, the scripture says, well, what do you think about? Oh, well, you know, I was noticing that when I was reading the scriptures, well, I, I know, I even feel bad for them, but the scripture says. There was a dude who did a book review on somebody who was doing stuff that everybody was liking. They said, I only have one problem. I have my primary problem. She didn't appeal to the scriptures. So it's just me saying, I mean, I see what you're saying, but you didn't show me that these are the sayings. So it's not the sword of the spirit. So Satan will hear that and flip it on you because the only thing that can defeat him is the word of God. Amen. Lastly, all fours. These are all the, this is the armor. You'll have to get this and run it back if you don't mind because it's a lot. But if the believer's fight makes you need armor, the believer's fit, he ends with don't fail to get on all fours. We don't pray with humility anymore. We pray kind of looking at our phone. We pray as people are praying, we change the scenery on the stage. We don't ever kneel. I, I did a retreat and I said, I want you all to get on your knees. You, the place almost wanted to look like they were ready to vomit. I said, you know, people used to kneel when they pray. Now, we did that to show I feel low right now because my need seems so great. All four is when you're lower than low. The word worship does not mean worth-ship, contrary to what you've heard. 
it actually means prostrate. Now, it's true in English, we use it that way, so go ahead and keep using it to say I express his worth, but that's really praise. He's worth what I'm expressing. But worship in the Bible means prostrate. It means getting on all fours before the superior. Prayer is your indication that I can be in the armor and I can be strengthened, but I better not be cocky. I better get low and I better get on all fours and I better do all the praying in this a double entendre because it's four things, four alls. All fours, pray at all times with all kinds of prayer, all perseverance, meaning always for all saints. I know I'll be, I, I, I'm looking at my time, I'm ashamed. Forgive me, and it's hot. It's just hot. <laughs> and Blueprint, having heard everything you heard, finally, go home, milk this passage, slow up, drink up, strap up. I'm gonna pray out. Father, I'll pray with this concluding thought. Still our ancient foe seeks to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing we're not the right man on our side, Christ Jesus, the man of God's own choosing. If they ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, Lord, we will not fear, for you have willed your truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. Yeah, his rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure. And only one word it will take to destroy him. Father, burn this in our hearts. Forgive me for keeping your people too long. But I pray they will go home and say, I'm ready to strap up and stand in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.